I'm Sarah. Welcome to Bible Stories for Snarky People. This is Season 2, Episode 5, and I'm Josh. Today we're tackling Genesis Chapter 18, which is kind of split into two different stories. Yeah, in the first half, Sarah, that's the character Sarah, not my co-host Sarah, the character Sarah will have a personal encounter with God. Then in the second half, Abraham will have one too. But before we get started, I think we have another letter from a loyal listener. Oh, that's right. You swept the cobwebs out of the mailbox this week, didn't you? Right. And I found this letter from Voldemort Smith, age 12, of Akron, Ohio. Okay. Here's what he writes. Dear Snarky Ones, I have a question about name changes. In the last episode, why didn't you talk about the name changes of Abraham and Sarah? My parents know I listen to this podcast, and I kind of think it's something that my family should be able to converse about with knowledge. Mm. So when God changes someone's name in the Bible, what does that mean? Are there reasons not to try it at home? Faithfully, Voldemort Smith. Oh yes, Voldemort, you're referring to our most recent episode, in which Abraham lost his foreskin but gained a syllable. And Sarah lost a vowel but gained a silent consonant? Right. Name changes are personal. Some people change their names when they get married. Others change their names to overcome some incident in their past or to claim a new identity under changed circumstances. So names are really important in the Bible. When we see a name change there, it's because God is giving that person a new purpose or mission. The name Abram means exalted father. And yes, it's a little weird and maybe unfortunate that his name meant father for 86 years before he had kids. (laughs) And then Abraham means father of multitudes. Mm. So in his case, the name change kicks it up a notch. But sometimes the name change itself isn't even that big a deal. The name Sarai means princess and the name Sarah means princess as well. It's just a slight variation. It doesn't even change the meaning. I think she gets shortchanged here. But again, the name is only an indicator. The important thing is the change of purpose and the promise from God that this will lead them toward that purpose. The names themselves are only a small part of that. I myself have dear friends who have changed their names and have experienced a new call from God in the process. So yes, absolutely try this at home, Voldemort, if you want. Don't feel like you have to, though, Voldemort. So, we have two stories today in which first Sarah, then Abraham, have a really personal encounter with God. The first part is the announcement of when their baby will be born. Wait, I thought we already got told that it would come next year. Yes, but the story in the previous chapter is from a later tradition. Remember that the Bible is a scrapbook sewn together from many stories told over centuries. Today's version of the story is much older. Why not just keep one version, the right one? Well, it was of utmost value in ancient Judaism to keep all the sacred stories and not to assume that they knew best which ones they should keep. Editorial continuity wasn't nearly as much of a thing. Uh, This is why you could never make a movie of the Bible in literal form. It wouldn't make any sense at all. Well, let's see how the two compare. The Book of Genesis, Chapter 18. 
The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. The oaks of Mamre sound like a cool magical fantasy place, yeah. but I guess it's just a location in Canaan near where they lived in Hebron. Right. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. Oh! How did you get here? When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. Wow, he's really going out of his way for these guys. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. That's not a quick five-minute snack to whip together. No, right. And three measures is a lot of flour. How, how much is it? Well, it's over a bushel of flour, about 21 quarts. What? Yeah. That's so much flour. Why do they even have so much flour? I guess so they can be ready for guests. Uh, they are pretty wealthy, remember? But still, who's going to eat all that? They do have all these slaves to help. Uh, right. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Another really extravagant, time-consuming thing. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. Five hours later! And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. He's just watching them eat? That's awkward. Hmm. Maybe it's better hospitality to let your guests eat first and then you eat when they're done. Still, what are you going to do during that time? And I don't know if I'd feel good about my host hovering over me. Well, do you like it? Did you like that bite? How about that bite? Like irritating waiters times a thousand. They said to him, Where is your wife, Sarah? How do they know her name? And he said, There, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. One said, who's coming back? And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Behind whom? Abraham or the strangers? Again, one or multiple? Yeah, the singular plural thing is indeed getting confusing, as we warned that it would. I want to zoom in really tightly on the Hebrew for a moment and see if that'll help. It says, Vasara shoma'at petak ha-ohel. Well, there's no need to swear. No, no, no. You see, ohel is Hebrew for tent. Oh. Ha-ohel v'hu acharav. Okay, let's translate it literally. And Sarah listening entrance the tent and he or it behind him or it. No wonder biblical translation is so hard. Our grammar is not the same. Let me try my own version. And Sarah was listening at the tent flap, and it was behind him. Or he was behind it. Well, that doesn't clear up my question. Ugh, maybe it's enough just to see how mysterious this all is. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. We know they're old, and Sarah has been through menopause, can't have biological children anymore. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, 
After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? Now, now note here that she laughs to herself. Literally, she laughed internally, not out loud like Abraham did in the last chapter. She's not falling on her face. Right. And it's not even about the idea of having a baby, is it? She's just amused at the thought that she and Abraham might have fun in bed again at their age. A baby would make this even funnier and weirder. Yeah. The Lord said to Abraham... Wait, hold up. The the, the Lord is here? Where did the Lord come from? I mean, these three strangers sure are mysterious, so they might be angels or something. But nobody said anything about God showing up. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Wait, so God, who is here now, is talking to Abraham, so God must be outside the tent. But Sarah laughed to herself, and God commented on it, so God must be inside the tent. But God is talking to Abraham, so God must be outside the tent. I have no idea where God is supposed to be here, but then we are talking about God. We are now. At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. So God is the one who's going to return. Hmm. Possibly as three people again? We didn't even know God was here until just now. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh, yes, you did laugh. Now God is talking to Sarah, not to Abraham. So God is inside the tent. But God is probably the same as the three strangers, so God must be outside the tent. We've come a long way from three mysterious strangers sitting outside the tent to the god of all things being inside the tent. Oh, hell. (laughs) Good one. As the story goes on, the encounter with God gets more and more personal. Abraham doesn't know who these strangers are. He just knows that it's right to take care of strangers. Then suddenly God is inside the tent, Knowing what Sarah is thinking. Yeah. So it gets more personal, but also kind of abstract. If you asked people who've had direct encounters with God what that's like, I think you'd find that your description resonates with them. If I were Sarah, I'd probably deny laughing too, because suddenly somebody's hearing my thoughts. Yet that's not logical, is it? If the person can hear your thoughts, there's no point lying. Well, yeah, but it's still a gut instinct. Sure, yeah. We've all had the experience of being caught red-handed and denying everything, even when it's obvious we did it. Hopefully not too many of us keep doing that as grown-ups. And that's without mind reading. Right. Er, wait. When God says, oh yes, you did laugh, is God shaming Sarah or more lightly teasing her? Well, what do you think? When you read the story, you get to decide on the tone of voice. I guess I hear it in more like teasing, but with all the different sides of God in the Bible, I feel like it could go either way. Sarah's personal encounter with God wraps up the first half of the chapter. This next part will gradually get less mysterious. Maybe it won't feel mysterious enough. Huh? Then the men set out from there, and they looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. I presume the men are the three strangers, slash maybe God? Sounds like it. 
Are they even men? Don't they kind of have to be angels or something? It just says men. There's a word for angels, and angels are not even mentioned anywhere here. And they're going towards Sodom, where Abraham's nephew Lot lives. Right. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? No, for I have chosen him, that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. What is God going to do, and why does he consider hiding it from Abraham? Hmm. Maybe God thinks that whatever it is, it might compromise Abraham's ability to remain close to God. But then God figures, it's probably better for my relationship with Abraham to be honest with him instead of sneaky. But what could God do that would damage their relationship? Hmm. Something terrible? Then the Lord said, How great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and how very grave their sin. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Oh, right. We've heard that the city of Sodom is full of really horrible people. Mm -hmm. There were definitely spoilers in chapter 13. Now Gomorrah, the next city over, is being lumped in as well. Why does God need to launch an investigation into these cities about this outcry. We were just locating God in multiple places simultaneously. Wouldn't God just know? A lot of ancient Hebrew stories humanize God. God has to go down and see. The idea of God being all-knowing developed slowly over the centuries. It's more like Greek thought than Hebrew. Well, I suppose both cultures contributed greatly to our present-day understanding. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Wait, how many men went to Sodom? Hmm. Just two of them leaving one behind to be God, or all three? Then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? That's a fair question. In two whole cities, surely there must be some innocent people. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Wow, Abraham is totally calling God out. He's got guts. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But righteous is a really vague term, and it makes it sound like everyone is either all good or all bad. Isn't anyone kind of bad, but good enough not to kill? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. What happened to Gomorrah? Are we even talking about that city anymore? What was the point of including it at all? Abraham answered, Let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Wow, he's totally buttering God up. It's like, I'm just a nobody, but here's how I see it. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. If we go by fives, this is going to take ages. 
Didn't you learn how to talk really fast in seminary? Oh, yeah. In the final episode of season one of our show, we had a lot of text to cover, and most of it wasn't very interesting, so I read it really quickly. I told you that I took a seminary class on how to do that, and that one of my classmates was studying to be an auctioneer. You were just being snarky, though, weren't you? Of course I was. What kind of show do you think this is? But I also remember, Sarah, that you picked up that fast-talking pretty well. I'm gonna try it again. All right, here we go. Again, he spoke to him. Suppose 40 are found there. 40, do I hear 40? Would you bid 40 for the righteous souls of Sodom? We've got 45 going once, going twice. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. I've got 40 from the God who formed heaven and earth. Do I hear 35, 35? There's 35 from the God who separated the land from the seas. Then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak. Suppose 30 are found there. Do I hear 30? Dig deeper, dig deeper, go for 30. Wanna wanna 30, get her done, get her done 30? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Do I hear 25, 25, 25? Yes, 25 to the God who made all flesh. He said, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. 20, 20, we have 20. Do I hear 15, 15, 15? There, 15 to the God who caused all breath to come into all lungs. Then he said, Oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak just once more. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. Ten to the God who sent a rainbow and promised never to flood the world again. Ten, ten, do I hear five? Do I hear five? Well, keep going, Abraham, keep going. Talk him down to one. What about Lot and Lot's family? And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Wait, that's it? You're mm. not going to go lower? There have to be ten righteous people? Mm, maybe maybe Abraham didn't want to press his luck with the God who was already stoking the divine fire from heaven. He got pretty dang far. Let's hope for the sake of all that is holy that there are ten good enough people in Sodom. Well, are there? Sorry, gotta wait for the next episode. Aww. What? You smush two stories into one chapter and then cut off at a cliffhanger? Yeah. As a writer, I get it, though. So we'll have to wait until next time to learn the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. As if we didn't already know. We had spoilers! Oh, and this next episode will be truly terrible. Uh-oh. So we'll see you next time for a terrifying episode of Bible Stories for Snarky People.